Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I train people on how to teach breathwork as well. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hangups, where we're going to help you change your life. We're going to show you how to transform your life with different tools. That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my life. I have struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life, and I've gotten through it. This is a solution-based show. We're talking about solutions to problems today. You guys look, you have too much handsome going on already. Um, How are you, John Paul? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, brother. John Paul is my uh, breathwork instructor. We do breathwork together. Oh, nice. I was kind of his, his guinea pig for his, for his uh, training. And we started this, what, about four eight years, years ago? Eight, eight years, years ago. Shit. Eight years? You've been doing breathwork for eight years, and I'm just finding out about this. I know. It's so good, Matt. You know, do you know, that, I, you know that I teach breathwork? What, what style do you teach? I'm just kidding. I've, I've never even heard about it until just now. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I just, John and I usually tell each other everything, John. Uh, no, that's really cool. What is breath work? Breath work is, is it like a meditation kind of? Yeah, it's a good question. It's like breath work is an umbrella term. So it's kind of like there's different styles and kinds and different things. Well, it's like meditate. Oh, yeah, like meditate. I meditate. So that's right. The, but which I, type of meditation I, do you do? Transcendental, trans- right? I do transcendental meditation. Right, yes. exactly. So, breath- so the same kind of thing. Yeah, the style of breathwork I teach is it's this really intense thing where you lay on your back and you breathe through your mouth, two breaths in, one breath out, really intensely for like 30 minutes. And your All brain- in and out of your mouth. Yeah, and oh, your brain okay. shuts off and you're totally, you're like, some people equate it to psychedelics, which I was reading a little bit about you. It looks like you used to do some psychedelics, as did I. Um, yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, me too. And beat people I, uh, up, as did I. I used to beat people. I still beat people up when I see them beating other people up that can't defend themselves or, yeah. you know, uh, harass. I, I, I don't go out looking for it, but it seems to like asshole people that like to grab women or yeah, call people totally. faggots or any, the haters get smacked. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not trying to be a tough guy, but the psychedelics have definitely, uh, taken the backseat. I will probably eat mushrooms again. Well, so this breathwork thing, if I took you through it or Feldy just played the tape like he does sometimes in the studio with people when he works with them, you would, it's similar to that. It's like a trip. Like you go on these like levels, there's different levels and emotions to it. And you release all this stuck emotion, all this trauma and all this stuff that's been sitting in your nervous system for years, you release it all and you feel fucking amazing. And so as a guy that grew up in Boston doing acid, drinking, fighting people, Oh yeah, you you have to know how to fight if you live in Boston. <laughs> yeah. Same with same with Chicago where I'm from. Yeah. I you know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu now, so that's kind of my outlet to like get it all out. And uh, Yeah, it's it's great. I did it uh for a long time until my knees couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. I have a really really bad set of knees, but uh I I Eddie Bravo was my instructor, so I advanced quite quickly. He actually um came to me sorry john i'm eating up the time but eddie just because i'm tall and lanky he's like you've got to train you've got to train and i really hadn't 
I'd watched UFC and admire, you know, a lot of martial arts, but uh, BJJ was something that I did for, for like about three years and got really good, really good, really fast. Yeah. I've been doing um, it for 12 and I did it with, I did it with um, Crone Gracie and then John Jock oh, Machado nice. and I did some Hicks and Gracie too. So I've been doing it a long time now. Um, and with, without slouches. Yeah. Those guys, no, are, those guys are the best. Are, yeah. The Gracies are the best. I, it, no matter what Eddie's little shit talk, he knows that too. Well, Eddie used to show up and, and bring all his guys to, and John Jock would just school them. It was amazing. Yeah. Watch. Eddie's a maniac, but he's a, he's got a good heart. I think, yeah. uh, I think he's, I think a he's, good chilled, guy. he's chilled out over the years, but anyways, I trained with Ralph Macchio back in the day, dude. Was, <laughs> oh, karate kid for which yeah, film wax on wax off. Brother. Were you, were you the little girl? I was the little girl. <laughs> Feldy <laughs> brought me out on tour to beat people up about 19 years ago. Right. Feldy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, is that right? Yeah, yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is, uh, this is my good friend, Matt Skiba, on with us today from the band Alkaline Trio, the band Blink-182. He's an epic artist and one of my best friends on the planet. I love this uh, man so much. And uh, we're going to talk today about whatever the fuck we want to. I love you too, John. And I feel exactly the same way. It's, uh, that's very nice to hear. It's uh, great to be with you guys today. Yeah, we, to I mean, we, we typically kind of focus on what makes us feel better, mental health issues. We, we, we talk about exercise, whatever. And, you know, back, yeah. uh, back when we were making California in 2016, Matt and I were, um, we would train probably, what, three times a week with Glenn? We were, we were going, going at it, right? You more than me, because I, I still had, uh, like, the ladder work and a lot of the warm-up uh, stuff might... I had already had one knee surgery. Now I've had two since then. But yeah, there was a couple of years where we were going several times a week. I was in there at like five in the morning sometimes. Well, maybe twice. But yeah, it was uh, boxing is is the best workout, or, or I should say, the most effective workout I've ever done. Yeah, I still train uh, two three times a week. I just man, this COVID with Glenn. Yeah, with Glenn. Yeah, this this COVID shit has got me like I probably gained thirty pounds since this. Oh thing yeah. We call it the COVID-25, me, me and my neighbor. Yeah. Because uh, he's a normal, normally a pretty svelte guy. And yeah, I'm, I'm a little soft, i got to be honest. I definitely am looking forward to the gym being open again. It's, I mean, I, I walk, go for walks. I ride my bicycle when I can, not as often as I should. But I've been, I've been walking in my neighborhood, which is very hilly, kind of like your neighborhood. Uh, so it's definitely a workout. No one's surfing last night. That's just that's right. I was a trainer, a personal trainer in Gold's Gym in Venice for 20 years. And this is literally the fattest I've ever been in my life. And my wife's like, you're oh. not fat. I'm like, I'm fat for me. Like, I've never yeah. stepped on the scale and seen these kind of numbers before. So I no. did my first Peloton ride this morning on one of those Peloton bikes. And the last couple of days have been my first Peloton, proverbial Peloton ride, like getting back into the groove. Regardless of how long this thing is going to last, I can't feel this sluggy. And I don't feel the depression or the anxiety that I hear most people talking about. I think that meditation has a lot to do with that. I think also somebody that spends most of his time alone as it is, I don't, there's not, it's not that huge of a difference for me. How long have you been doing Transcendental and how did you get into it? And why did you get into it? I started doing it about 15 years ago, 
got interested in it because I'm uh, was and still am an enormous David Lynch fan. The video was on. You could see there's a picture of him hanging behind me. But uh, his book, Catching the Big Fish, which uh, for those who haven't read it, it's like a 200-page little teeny thing. I read it on like a three-hour flight, cover to cover. And I'm not the quickest reader, but it, it the way that he described it, it was something that I had absolutely had to try and i well i guess we're talking about this like david lynch his his the thing that got me to seek it out was his descript his describing tm as getting into an elevator and having all the lights shut off and the cables cut and but you're never going you're never in fear of hitting anything you're never in fear of it, of hitting a ground level it just feels like free fall and that description is, I experienced that the first time I meditated, luckily for me. Some people don't experience that for many years, but you eventually experience a sort of, I believe it's a release of DMT. Uh, you would probably know more about this, John Paul, than I would, or I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, but having that rush that we were just talking about, that psychedelic body rush where it feels like you just jumped out of a plane or that cables just got cut or however you want to describe it. And in a way that for me, it just feels like I'm in this very comfortable void and a, some, a vacuum of the universe, you know, is like humming to me and everything else shuts off mm -hmm. it, as corny as that may sound. So I read his book and my manager at the time had already been practicing and he actually, his teacher, or guru, as we call them, was Nancy Cook de Herrera, who taught David Lynch. She brought the Beatles to the ashram. She brought the Beach Boys to the ashram. Mia Farrow, all the Hollywood types that, you know, she, Nancy was responsible for bringing TM to the West, basically. Wow. And she, she passed a couple years ago at the age of 106. And That's she, looked, you know, when you learn TM, it's only, three days, like an hour the first day, half hour the second time, and then you meditate together for 20 minutes and she'll answer any questions. That was 15 years ago. She passed away maybe five, six years ago. But every month I would go up to her house to meditate with her and have lemon cake and tea and just talk and, and meditate together. She became a very dear friend of mine. So I was very, very fortunate in my timing with reading that book and getting introduced to the David Lynch Foundation. Of course, Nancy Cook de Herrera, who has changed my life in just, uh, you know, introduced me to TM, but in a way that I think is unique to learning from her. So for those of the people listening out there, TM is a very specific type of meditation and they give you a mantra word, right? That's your word only and you're not supposed to tell anyone. Is that correct? Correct. You're, you're not supposed to tell anyone and you're not supposed to say it out loud ever. Oh. And, and I think like that definitely put a stigma on TM. When she first, you know, the Beatles uh, started singing its praises and, you know, it was like this, everyone thought it was a cult. They were like, but what's the rub? Like what, well, who's the God or who's the like yeah. sex fiend that's like humping the, children or whatever it's like not there's there's no place it's like jumping jacks for your nervous system and i think the not saying your your mantra out loud not telling it to anyone it's not so much as it's 
secrecy as it, it gives, you're giving it power. Um, I think is, is uh, the simplest way to, to describe. It. I think that's pretty accurate. I studied with Lynn at the David Lynch Foundation as well. I read that book, 10% Happier by, Tan, by Dan Harris. And that's the book that really convinced me that this could work for me. When I was, you know, hitting a bottom in my, uh, you know, kind of in my life uh, with anxiety, depression, and panic attacks, I was just lose, losing my mind about how, it. How long ago was this, John? This is probably like 15 years ago now that I was okay. really like struggling with, you know, I, I had just, um, my son had just been born and I wasn't sleeping and I was just, my, 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 when I was working for Tom Wally, that job, that job went away because he lost his job at Warner Brothers and, and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? It's just, everything was dubstep and EDM and I'm like, where do I fit in as a rock producer? Where's, like, where's Goldfinger going to be in five years and how am I going to provide for my family? And I just like, well, I was really losing it from stress. Oh yeah, the, the walls are closing in on you, right? All of it. Yeah. And I read that book, 10% Happier, and I was like, uh, this, this is what I need to pursue. And I, and I went to the David Lynch foundation as well. And I got, and I have a mantra and they, they told me that it just, like you said, it takes the power away if you say it out loud. And it's a word that ha really has no meaning. It's not like a dictionary. Word. No. And something that my teacher, and it's cool talking to people like yourself or my band, like pretty much everyone in my, in Alkaline Trio meditates now. And it's funny when I first started doing it, my bandmate Danny called my our manager because he was concerned about me moving to California and meditating and like I'm this like hippy dippy surfer guy now and what the fuck is this meditation shit and Dan our, our manager at the time Dan Field said well I I introduced I introduced Matt to his teacher because she was mine and this was a long time ago of course Dan now meditates like a monk I mean he's He's like me, it's, and I'm sure like you, I, I think we've said this to each other, I, I can't imagine my life without it. Yeah, we all need to find a way out. I mean, it's because the mind is just so, it's too much. It's just the supercomputer that just keeps running over and over. I think it's interesting. One of the things that I've studied, you know, in breath work is that they say that DMT is in the lungs and that, the oh. re, you know, you can release that DMT that's in the lungs when you do this intense breathing thing. Uh, that I teach. And, but I also think part of it is that you're giving your mind a job. Like you just, I just focus on the breath technique and that's its job. Just like you would focus on the mantra saying it over and over and you give it a job to do so that you can step back from the mind and not be obsessed about work or this thing or that thing and just yeah. kind of take a break if it has a job to do. Right. That's very well put. Yeah. It has a job to do it. And, and I'm going to use that now. That's it's like being of eating vegan or meditating or the things that that uh, enrich my life. I try, not, you know, at first, of course, I was trying to get everybody to do it. I was all excited about it, but I realized it was turning people off more than on. I need to meditate. I haven't meditated yet today, and I can feel it. It's like you're, you know, when your nerves start frying a little bit, and yeah. it's not ter, it's not terrible, especially when you know you can meditate and it's going to be okay. Giving your giving your busy mind a job to do that really doesn't involve you, uh, with the mantra. Something that my teacher told me, and this is what I was getting at uh, in talking to other people that practice TM or, you know, specifically TM because of the mantra, the, the silent mantra. And for those who don't know, it's a silent meditation. You're not you're not chanting out loud or anything you're silent and you repeat this mantra only in your head 
something my teacher said is like, it's two syllables. My mantras, I think most of them are two syllables. And the, the pronunciation of it, especially at the tail end of it, you don't really need to worry about kind of let that just wash away and just kind of morph into what it's where it's, it's going to go. The mantra even when you've been practicing, you know, it's different for everyone, but it's like, for me, it feels like a rolling pin or like a massage on my nervous system, even on my muscle. I mean, physical pain, it helps so much with physical pain, but you don't have to concentrate on that to make it work. You're concentrating on nothing. You know, it does what sleep does for you ultimately. I think what you said too, chanting is like, it's very similar to chanting and, and that, that, uh, that gives your brain a job to do. I think that's why people can kind of free themselves in the chant, right? I haven't done too much chanting. I've done a little bit, but I, I've been interested in trying it. I'm open to try anything new. I, I, you know, I have an open mind. When I went to breathwork, you know, I was just so angry and I was like, I can't believe I'm going to fucking lay on the floor and pay someone to have me fucking breathe. Like this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. And then I had this massive release, like I've never experienced in my life. So it took me down a rabbit hole of like, what else is out there? And that's oh, yeah. kind of what I want to keep exploring. Like what else is out there? Are there other things that you do that feel good besides exercise, besides TM? Like what else are you doing if there's anything else, you know, there doesn't have to be. Painting is a uh, huge, I realize that, uh, you know, like if I'm on my motorcycle, which, you know, scares the hell out of John, I, I pretty much stopped commuting on my motorbikes. I just, I drive now. I had a friend that had a, a very unfortunate accident in a couple of years ago. And I'm like, man, I'm just not going to ride in traffic anymore. People, you could be the best rider in the world and, you know, you'll avoid you know, 99.9% .9 of accidents, but then that, you know, that one little bit is the one that breaks your neck or kills you. But my point is when you're on a motorcycle, all you, all you can really afford to do is ride that motorcycle. Or when you're painting, all you're doing is painting. It's like that, again, that job you're giving your mind, you're giving your mind a job. It's like painting is very meditative. Riding my motorcycle, surfing, songwriting i mean songwriting is is like a time machine i know the last time john and i worked together it we would work till like one or two in the morning old school style and i mean the time just you know i don't wear a watch and i don't think there's a clock in the in the studio but it felt like i was there for 20 minutes and we were there for six hours it was so fucking great. I forget what you were uh, you were saying. Oh yeah, well it was like some song, and you just became some other character. And I think you sang the whole song in this different voice, and it was just like I could not stop laughing. I think I peed. My <laughs> it was so you know, good, man. Even like that night, like I think the part of the reason that it went by so fast is because we were doing work we're proud of. We we're having fun doing it. And John and I work really well together. We admire each other and know our strengths. John doesn't have weaknesses, but you do have these immense strengths. I have, I don't have really have weaknesses either. I have things I can't do and things that I can, and I have a pretty specific wheelhouse, but 
it works very well with John's universal wheelhouse. Your taste in music is exactly my taste in music. So when you grab a guitar and start playing, it's like, it just sounds like magic because it's like that Mike Ness in both of us that we grew up on, like Mommy's Little Monster. It's like that shit comes out. And it's like you sing with such passion. I don't know anyone that really sings with the kind of passion that you sing. And it's like, I know when I'm recording you, that there's gonna be, like there's this one take you do from start to finish that's going to be the one. Like you don't necessarily work when, when I have to punch in one word or fix, like you work when it just comes out of you like a magical spirit, you know? It's, a, it's incredible working with you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, until I took voice lessons, you know, singing is something like, not similar from chanting or from a, from a mantra, I don't know if you want me to keep going back to that, but it, it's singing. And actually, I, I was l- listening to Joe Rogan last night, and, and Miley Cyrus was his guest, and she was talking about her voice. Like, she has this really husky, beautiful voice that is from years of overuse and, you know, parting to her admission. Like, you know, she's she seems like a, like a cool lady, but she was talking about learning how her instrument works and once i learned how my voice works you know i used to kind of dread going i used to completely dread going into the studio now it's something that i can't wait to do because uh i've gotten good at it only because i've had someone teach me how to sing and tell me this is why this happens and this is why that happens and you know, there's a, I have more to learn than, than I know, but I've definitely learned a lot. And it, you know, there was a time where it was like, we're punching every other word. And I, uh, I can't even, that, that was a different person. It's like, I feel like a song should tell a story. And, you know, you have to be in that story as you're telling it in the song. So I appreciate the compliment, uh, John, about, you know, everything you just said. I, uh, I take pride in, in um meaning it yeah i don't know if you remember this but maybe it must have been 18 years ago now i met you i think the first time i met you was at gwen stefani's new year's party you were there with dan and i was like i think you and dan were dressed kind of similarly like in all black and it was like and you guys were so, I mean, at least you guys both struck me as being very tall. And I, I think I met you um, from the Good Charlotte guys. I think you, they introduced us. And I was like, this is, a, this is one fucking handsome man. I remember thinking that oh. when I first met you. And, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, because you grew up in Chicago and it's like my like the Metro and um, House of Blues. And I mean, every place I played pretty much everywhere there is to play in Chicago. I discovered the first band I ever produced was called Show Off. And the second band I ever signed was called Mest. Both of them were from Chicago. My dad's from Chicago. I have all this history with Chicago and it's just weird that we never toured together. And I was thinking, how did you avoid ever being in a ska band, you know? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I never, I, I'm a huge fan of the Trojan Ska stuff. I think we were talking about it last time I was in, was listening to, I think, the the orange one. You know, there's like three or four volumes. The orange and the green one are my jams. But like old Laurel Eichen and the old Rocksteady stuff and the old Jamaican Ska, I love so much. You know, Operation Ivy was, the ba- was like the one band uh, of like new 
the ska revival that I actually loved. I, it wasn't something that I had any interest in. I had a lot of friends that were in ska bands and certainly we've toured with some great, like Less Than Jake is such a great band and such a great bunch of guys. And they were the first band to take us out on like a big tour where we're actually playing for, you know, a thousand people or 2000 people or whatever it was. Chicago, I was a naked ray gun kid. So ska entering the equation was never really gonna happen. Yeah. What was that like playing those first shows? Was it like backyard parties? Was it like, where, where did you start playing shows? We started playing, um, yeah, we played, I remember one of our early shows was, we played at house parties. There was a, a house that Dan from Alkaline Trio, Dan Andriano lived in, north side of Chicago, uh, next to a crack house. It was, a, I mean, man, I have so many wild stories from the places we've been and lived and, and played some dark amazing stories but this house on Albion next to the crack house you know they're smoking crack and have people coming and going and they minded their business and we would have loud punk rock parties and have bands play in the base or they would have bands play in the basement yeah it was uh, it was very you know DIY and uh you know it was it was punk rock for sure is the fireside bowl still there it is um it, it, so and, and they they still do shows, but I, I haven't been in there since it was closed down, I think, for a long time. And I think they renovated it and they now have like electronic scoring and all the, you know, the place for those who don't know, it's this beautiful old, one of the oldest bowling alleys, I think, in the country. Probably, I mean, I think bowling is a pretty American and Canadian thing, but it was this beautiful old analog bowling alley just the way it was painted and everything it was just this like so dated and run down but beautiful I mean and you couldn't ask for a shittier setup for bands to play I mean the sound you've got the stage in the corner and then there's a bowling alleys go you know it's like this big it's a bowling alley so yeah. it doesn't sound necessarily <laughs> very very good but man, I saw some of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. I saw No Means No play there, which was one of the most violent. I remember the, the beginning of that show. I, I don't know if you guys are No Means No fans at all uh, or for anyone listening. It's just they're, they're like a religion to the people that love them. It's, they're just one of the gnarliest, artiest, just old school punk rock bands, but the best musicians, the most amazing lyrics, so dark and brutal, but so catchy. And I remember Rob Wright, he's this big, huge Chinook of a man. He saw this guy punch a girl in the face, like during the opening chords of the first song. And I watched him just kick all the teeth out of this guy's mouth. Oh. Didn't, miss a, didn't miss a note. You know, Fireside was definitely, and that was like the kinder, gentler side of Chicago punk rock because it was very violent for a long time. I remember um, someone had sent me the clip from Soma when everyone, the whole crowd at Soma, when it was your first show with Blink-182, and the whole crowd was chanting, Skiba, Skiba, Skiba. What was that, what was that like, your first show? I was like, it's pronounced Hoppus. Yeah, it was a trip, <laughs> and man. I, I think that's probably the most stunned I've ever been by, I was gonna say on stage, but I think just in life, I was 
shocked in the best way possible. Yeah, I knew, you know, I've been a fan of Blink for, you know, as long as you have. When I saw that clip, I'm like, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine for that band, you know, having you in it. Well, it definitely, to anyone who hears this that was in the crowd that night, it's like, it, I felt like that was my welcoming into the band. And to be in their hometown or, you know, the the place of Genesis for Blink, it's like, that was unreal. I mean, just, so, it was so warm and it was just this beautiful, just enormous invitation that, yeah, I got, I mean, I'm getting a little choked up talking about it. It was, it was a beautiful thing. You've, I mean, look, you've changed the world, man. I mean, I, I, I remember I, I met uh, Lauren from Churches. I don't know if you know that band. Uh, I do. And I figured, you know, maybe she'd know me as a, as a producer from whatever. But of all the stuff of my whole resume, I said, hey, I'm John Feldman. She goes, you know Matt Skiba. And then she showed me her Alkaline Trio tattoo. And she Whoa. was I'm, she's like, I'm a, um, what's, what's the name of the, um, your fan club people that are in your fan club? There's a name. The Blood Pact. Yeah. And she's like. I, you know, that, and all she talked about was you the whole time. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, this guy is such a legend, you know, and I've, I've always known you, you know, as long as I've been in, in music, I've known about you and I've known your band. But I was like, wow, Matt really has changed the world and affected people's lives. And last time you were at my house, you were talking about that midnight movie thing that you do to, to help with mental wellness, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a filmophile and a bookworm, and the movie thing, you know, there. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't really get it. Like, you just all watch the same movie at your house, and it's like, yeah, but there's at least five kids I know of because they've written me and told me so that it helped. It gives them something to look forward to because they're struggling so much with this quarantine and the fear that it, it inspires in people you know i just kept hearing people talk about that and it's like well what what can i do if i could do something that could help even just one kid you know and so it's sundays at midnight cinerama the instagram thing and it's like i mean dude <laughs> my internet went down because of, i'm guessing because of the heat and, and there were fires i'm told but we didn't have uh, interweb up here, so I couldn't use my phone. I couldn't watch movies. I don't have DVDs or anything. You know, it's like all on the Apple TV. So I've missed a couple of the movie nights, but checked in with everybody. And like everyone else watched the movie that I said for that. This is what we're going to watch this week. And the, there's, you know, a small handful of people that love it, myself included. And it's really cool. And it also, I have a book club, Instagram thing, and a, the movie club. And it's, they're like the diehard film fans or the diehard bookworms that like the music I play. You know, we can all connect on that. And it's a small group of people that really feels like a community based on this really kind of silly idea that I, I catch myself taking it pretty seriously sometimes. This is one of my favorite things I've heard on this podcast, Matt, because so you've just taken it upon yourself to create a, a book club community and a film community where you, you announce the book or you announce the, the film and then all your fans or people who are interested 
will go and read that book or watch that film and then what you guys like uh, chat about it on Instagram or have a, you know, a chat room or something like that? Or is there anything like, how do you connect? Because you have created this community and I think that's amazing. And I think we need that right now more than ever with uh, like people are just so disconnected right now and it's yeah. so hard on people. And that's what we need is connection. Even if, I mean, that's a great way to get connection right now. I watch the movie and you watch the same movie and then we're like, Hey, what was your favorite part? Or what was your favorite part of that book? Or that's an amazing well, yeah. idea. Like there is, there's not a whole lot of, there's a little bit of back and forth, but like, I've been wanting to get a monkey in a coffin tattoo for a long time. And the film we watched last week, and it's cool too, because it's at midnight Pacific Standard Time. So no matter where you're at in the world, that's when the movie starts so that everyone's watching it at the same time. You know, sometimes I'll, with a movie like Repo Man, or we watched Repo Man a couple of weeks ago. Suburbia was the film we watched just this last Sunday. I didn't watch it, but everyone else did. But Sunset Boulevard is one of my favorite films. It's a 1953 black and silver classic and a really strange movie that begins with this guy taking a monkey in a coffin out of this weird old lady's house. Kids in the, the Cinerama, S-I-N and then Zero Rama, like, like the uh, Cinerama Dome. You know, the monkey in the coffin thing, I just kept kind of hinting towards it. And there was maybe one or two kids that caught it. But it's just like kind of little jokes like that or little hints. Kids will watch it and they freak out about it and love it or think I'm just weirder than they thought I was before. But they're there, they're there watching the movies with me. So to be honest, when I thought of it, I was like, first I was a little bit apprehensive. Friends of mine are like, when I first started doing it, they're like, I don't really get it. You just all watched a movie at the same time. I was like, yeah, but you know, even though there's not a whole lot of back and forth, it's acknowledged that we're, we're watching, that we watched River's Edge a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of these kids are millennials or whatever they're called. They don't know what a River's Edge is. And it's like Crispin Glover and Keanu and Ione Sky. I mean, the cast is incredible. It's a true story. And it's amazing to see the kids that fall in love with these films that I love so much like just be get obsessed with them and so even though it we're not um what was the term you use like uh blot not blogging but um like a chat room right uh there is you know enough information being passed that we're you know it what we're we're watching this together there is a community and you know, there's one kid in particular that wrote me this beautiful message kid that's struggling with thoughts of suicide and dealing with abuse issues, um, not, you know, dependency, but being abused currently. Um, yeah. And I mean, it broke my heart, but it also, you know, made it sing. It's like, because he just thanked me. I rented that movie in high school, River's Edge. Me and my girlfriend, we got high and we went and watched it with her parents. And I had no idea what it was about. Oh my God. And they were like, and it's about a guy that kills his girlfriend, right? And so 
they were like, who picked this? And uh, like, it was so awkward. It was the most awkward fucking moment. So when you said that, I, it just took me back to that, like, like sitting there stone and me like, oh my God, I can't believe I picked this movie. And they're just but, looking at me. They hated me anyways. They hated me 10 <laughs> times more after that. <laughs> yeah, River's Edge is pretty rough. My, my uh, a good friend of mine, my friend Heather, her dad was in town. And, you know, they're close, but they have kind of an awkward relationship. And they were looking in the in, in the listings for like, what's a, uh, like, she was like, what's a, you know, neutral kind of safe film we could go watch just to go do something. And they went and watched Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Happiness in the theater. Oh and I remember, God! I yeah, remember being the only one in the theater laughing out loud. And I couldn't, oh, yeah. I couldn't control my laughter. And people were looking at me like I was a sicko. And I could not stop oh, laughing. You know what? That happened to me when Joker came out. When he's got his face painted white and he kills the dude in his apartment. And he's like, <laughs> and, and he, they, when they first walk in, he's got the white makeup on his face. And he's like, they're like, how are you doing? He's like, I stopped taking my medication. I'm actually doing a lot better. And then he fucking kills the dude, and I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so fucking hard <laughs> at the whole scene. And then Gary, the little the uh, little person that tries to like get past him, he's like ah, and, like jumps at him all covered in blood. I couldn't. I was laughing so hard, and I was the only there. And it was a packed theater. Everyone's just <laughs> looking at me like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, dude?" Yeah, <laughs> I know. I laughed. I laughed when he when he shot the host. Um, who was oh, that? I, uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, De Niro. He yeah. shot Robert De Niro. De Niro. I was I was with my son. We just watched it together, and I was like, I I couldn't stop laughing. And my uh, my son was like, Dad, are you okay? I'm like, it was just so gnarly. That movie was so uh, so gnarly. But dude, there's so much funny. And and I had to talk. I think maybe you, John or Feldman. I, like there were people that I talked to that I needed to be reassured that that was really funny. I mean, like I later saw Todd Phillips was like, yeah, that was supposed to be really funny. And at one of the premieres, you know, pe the people that were laughing got like, nobody wanted to talk to them after the film. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean that is the weird thing it's like what we find funny other people might be like oh that's inappropriate and it's different yeah. for everybody you know well it, this this just happened to me I, I i'm sorry i just cut you off no go ahead uh, but but it but it pertains to what you're saying this i just found this t-shirt online and it looks like it's like the saved by the bell font like super cheesy 90s neon like eight late 80s 90s but it's a jeffrey dahmer t-shirt it is fucking hilarious and i posted a picture of it and this kid was like why does it have to be a serial killer uh, like does it have to be a serial killer and i wrote it back if you want it to be funny i like how do you not think this is yeah he killed people and it's it's wrong and fucked but th this is a shirt and it's a joke but I don't, I'm not trying to bully anyone, but this happened just 10 minutes ago before we started talking. I apologize for excitedly interrupting you. I remember, I remember one day I was, what, did I, what was I saying? It was like, we were about to start work on a song in the studio one day and I was like, let's start working on this song, this, this one. This, and I, so I was like talking whatever, like a goofball. And you were like, dude, my my has a has a um, speech disorder or something for like probably ten fucking minutes. You were like, 
And I was like, fuck, I felt so bad. I was like, <laughs> and, then, and then eventually you're like, nope, I'm just fucking with you, dude. <laughs> it was so oh, man. When we, were, when we were kids, well, we were, when we were younger kids, me and my buddies, like we would, there was this group of girls that we, they were like our first, we were, we were snowboarding every weekend up at this place in Wisconsin. I grew up in Chicago. So we'd drive up to Wisconsin to snowboard every weekend. And I remember being at the ski lodge and we're all like drinking, of course, and we're hanging out with these girls. But, you know, I, want, I wanted to meet this girl, Michelle, my, my first girlfriend. And so we had our buddy, we were, I was talking to her and I was like, hey, go ask my friend Mike how many push-ups his dad can do. And she's like, what? I was like, go, go ask him. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's cool. She goes over to him and she's like, how many push-ups can your dad do? And he just th throws his chair. He's like, my dad doesn't have any arms. And like storms, <laughs> storms out of the fucking room. Oh my God. She just started crying, like instantly crying, bawling. We're like, dude, no, we're kidding. Like, we, oh man, I've been doing that shit forever. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I was just telling my friend yesterday, back when I was in San Diego and I was pretending to go to college, I, uh, I was doing a lot of cocaine and I had, I had grown out my little pinky nail so I could do like my little cocaine. I cannot imagine this version of you, bro. Dude, this version of me is unrecognizable, but like, and I remember you I was, the, I was telling the, the them. Pimp, the pimp fucking fingernail. Yeah, it's so gross. And I was, oh my God. I was selling a toner and developer for copying machines. You know, that was <laughs> myself. So I was like doing the fucking telemarketing phone calls. And, uh, and there's a lot more than just that. Yeah, I was doing more than that. But I was, I, I remember one day I was scratching my belly button and then I put with my little pinky nail and I come up and there's a little, a little bug crawling on it. And I asked the girl who I had a crush on next to me, I'm like, holy shit are there bugs in the office? And she looks and she goes, dude, you've got crabs. And I was like, fuck. I just got my, I guess wow. my belly button. In, and I was like, the whole office stopped working. They're like, John Feldman has crabs. And I'm like, fuck, what did I do? <laughs> no, yeah, never mind the Coke nail. John Feldman has a Coke nail. No, no, no. John Feldman's Coke nail has a crab in it. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Word. That was like the worst fucking damn. But I didn't stop. I didn't stop partying yet. I kept going, man. It was fucking. What'd you do? What'd you do about the crabs? <laughs> Dude, I shaved. I shaved everything. I got rid. I sprayed rid. I, I dunked my nuts in rid. I sprayed my room down. Everything. I was like, I quit. I'm quitting drinking forever. And then that. But night I'm gonna do. But you kept up with the coke. <laughs> of course of course i did yeah but that night you lost your room and then you said that night oh that night i, I cut you started off started drinking i started drinking again and i passed out on my you know my bed that had no sheets on it whatsoever because i boiled all my sheets and i was just laying on my on my mattress and my roommate came in at fucking four in the morning drunk and he kicks me awake and he starts going sprinkle sprinkle and he's got crab he scratched crabs off his balls and he's sprinkling crabs back on my mattress <laughs> sprinkle sprinkle that was how i ended that night it was one day of like the worst ever oh my god dude so is this how these conversations go every time you talk to someone we talk about it? how spiritually fit we are and all the stuff <laughs> we end up talking about fucking VD. Usually this 
this podcast has gone backwards. Usually we start with this stuff and then we get into all the mental health. And in this one, we started with the mental health and now we got into the crabs and the sprinkle. sprinkle. Oh yeah. I mean, so, I don't have any crabs, sprinkle, sprinkle, but I've got, I've got similar. I mean, I've never <laughs> had crabs. My friend DJ Montet, who used to pick me up for high school in his El Camino with guar and pot smoke just pouring out of this thing. And he was drag his jeans, his leather jacket around behind it with, with motorcycle chains uh, to just so it would get nastier every day and, and wear it into school. And this kid would pick me up every day. He got crabs one time, sure more than once, but this one time he just took black flag and just sprayed it all over his pubes and just uh, fucking put his underwear. Yeah. Oh God. Hey Matt, we like to do a, a little, I do a little questionnaire at the end of the podcast where I ask you a couple questions. Okay. And you can say pass if you want to pass. What, okay. What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? The scariest thing that's ever happened to me. You can pass if you want. No, no. I, I, I like this question. What is the scariest thing that's ever happened to me? I think when I electrocuted myself when I was a little kid, I stuck a screwdriver in the socket of a lamp that was plugged into a wall. Oh. And uh, that, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah. Right? I don't even be- I don't believe in God and I... I, I don't well, believe in God and I saw him. I got a story, like I've never shared this, but my brother electrocuted himself. We had the power lines beside our house and he threw a wire over the power lines. They were going to hang a scarecrow for Halloween and he got electrocuted and he had like, I don't know, 100,000 volts go through his body. So much so that they, they put a hole in the street, in the concrete. Oh the, my God. And the did ambulance ex- came. Did he have an exit wound, or like out of the bottoms of his feet, or? I wasn't born yet, but the ambulance came and they pronounced him dead. And my father oh, started to cry, and he sat up. This is the story I got from my parents. He sat up and he said, "Daddy, Daddy, I just saw God and all the angels. God and all the angels." And my Holy father, shit. my father has been to church every day ever since that day. He made a deal. He said he made a deal with God that if he saved his son, that he would go to church every day. So that's the deal, and like that's the story I heard growing up that my brother electrocuted himself to death and came back. I don't think I don't think you could make something like that up. I, I think I don't think Chuck Palahniuk could make something like that. up. I know it's I'm, crazy. It's a crazy story. So you you made me think of that. Um, okay, here's another question for you. What I had to work as an electrician, like after, like long after toner and developer, but I had to fucking do elect. I had to do electrical work downtown when I was working. Um, it was like South Central, and so the guy I was with, this guy um, Richard, he'd carry a gun with him every day because there'd be so many gang fights outside this apartment complex, and I'd have to pull wire underneath the fucking apartment complex with dead cats and all that. Uh. Shit. And, and, uh, and I got electrocuted a couple times. That is not fun. No. Scary no, as fuck. Yeah, especially when you're a little kid. I, you know, actually, and it, it involves elect, uh, uh, electrocution. The scariest thing that's happened to me was uh, Alkaline Trio was on tour with Rancid. In, we were in Oslo, Norway. And me and Dan Hodge, I don't know if you guys know Dan Hodge, but you'd recognize him if you saw him he's done merch for everybody he's a, he's, he's a bro and uh me and dan hodger standing there watching rancid sound check and they didn't put the uh power converter or the lift on matt freeman's microphone and i saw matt it looks like like an invisible giant picked him up like three feet up off the ground i mean he was was like levitating for 
a millisecond and then thrown against the back wall of the club. And I just saw this blue flash and I thought I just saw my friend Matt get killed right before my eyes. And uh, Dan is in hysterics and I'm just very like, my mom's an emergency room nurse and I think I inherited some of her survival skills or whatever. I managed to get EMS there almost immediately and Matt played that night but I thought seeing Matt get electrocuted was the scariest thing I've I've uh, uh that was terrifying that's a good one here's here's another question for you if you could make up a law or some kind of rule that everyone had to follow what would it be don't be an asshole <laughs> <laughs> okay and one last one if you if what character from a tv show or a movie do you dislike the most Ooh, that's a really good question. I think the, uh, what is that guy's name? James Spader's character in Less Than Zero. Oh, that's a good one. Creep. Not, not Chet from Weird Science. Oh, he's one of my favorite. That guy's my hero. <laughs> Bill Paxton. Dude, yeah, I, I, I was just, I was just quoting. It, it's, a Persian, it's a Persian missile chip. How Chet. would you like a greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty in a ashtray? Dirty ashtray. <laughs> Awesome. This has been amazing. Thanks for coming on today. Hell yeah. That was a great time. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was doing anything but hanging out with you guys. Love it. Which ultimately I was. Thank you so much. Oh man. Love you. Love you guys, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. All right, right, dudes. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later.